0: A warning, this episode discusses sexual abuse, drug use, and suicide, and may be upsetting to some people. I'm Sean Hogan, and this is The Good Guys Podcast. In this episode, personal trainer Levi Armstrong describes life growing up in the depths of a gang.
1: You know, the, the the crate bottles coming up the drive, the V8s, um, the violence, the parties and everyone coming back to the home, there was no love, you know, and, and for me, we needed to escape, we needed to break free. But after being sexually abused, the damage was done. I, I was reaching for drugs and alcohol to kind of submerge the pain. However, a love of fitness led him to a life of now giving back
0: and a way out.
1: I'm now talking with bros. They used to talk about pee, and um, but now we're talking about proteins. The road hasn't been
0: smooth. There's been relapses, but he's now pursuing things never thought possible. Hey guys, just a quick note from me. I and my guests are not doctors or mental health professionals, unless stated otherwise. They have lived experience and are simply sharing what has worked for them to get through tough times. But I'm also going to put some numbers of helplines and websites in the show notes of this episode, so if these topics do raise anything for you that you want to talk to someone about, then you can get the help that you deserve. And now, let's get into it. Well, Levi, I just want to say thank you very much for joining me first up. We've um, come together a couple of times through my work as a reporter on One News, and I've always been interested in your story and um, the respect and the mana that you have, obviously, in your community. So thanks very much for for coming on, good guys.
1: Cheers, mate. Thank you very much, Sean.
0: Um, I'll start with um, Levi. A lot of people may not know you. So could I please get you to introduce yourself and and what your co-papa is?
1: Yeah, geez. um yeah so born in born in raised in Hastings, uh yeah 34 so I think I'm quite yeah still quite young I believe but uh yeah I, I reside in Taradale now with my wife and and four tamariki, um but yeah currently doing some study at EIT and a um masters in health and yeah I think my my journey in life has yeah been awesome but uh been massive learning experience as well my my father's uh. A prominent um, Hastings Mongol Mob gang member as well, and yeah, so I've got a younger brother, and we're both raised um, within the, the Hastings Mongol Mob mm. uh, chapter, and we I think we're doing quite well for ourselves now, d- despite that um, background. So yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah, and I I want to start with um, with your whānau because you know where we come from and where we grow up or what we environment we grow up and really says a lot about us. Um, so. You you could you tell me a little bit about your father. Your father was and correct me if I'm wrong, quite integral in the the beginnings of the mongrel Mob, right?
1: Yeah, his um so he was um, born born in Hastings as well, and by the age of twelve he um, ended up in the the boys' homes in Borstal, so the youth prisons. Um, so he yeah he escaped home. Um, he wanted to get out of that lifestyle. He he got involved in. Yeah, crime and criminal activity from a young age and he's been in and out of prison his whole life and um, he's got two other children older than me to other other wives but yeah he he found a, a connection and a sense of belonging within the Mongol Mob when it first started in the 1960s or the late 1960s and um, it's still around today if anything it's growing immensely and yeah for, for himself he wanted to be a part of a group um, of young delinquents that um, yeah, didn't really care about society um, and, and abiding by rules and yeah, from, from his upbringing through that um, to us, me and my brother now, there's I think there was a, a sign where we didn't want to follow our father, we didn't want to go down that path, uh, we, we always thought that we had potential and I think it was through having a, a loving mother that we, um, we are who we are today. Yeah. What
0: role did he play in your childhood?
1: Yeah, well, so we, yeah, well, in, in the house itself, so um, Mahora and Hastings, yeah, we, um, you know, violence, um, drugs, alcohol, etc. We're always um, prominent in our household, uh, being exposed to piss-ups or parties and your drunk aunties and uncles. Everyone's an auntie and uncle back in those days, so, um Yeah. Oh, I started drinking from a young age. Um, that influenced, yeah. I did um, delve into a bit of drugs and alcohol, but um, health and fitness kind of saved my life. And my our father, uh, he did abuse our mother and our, our mum. From there, I think I was about eight. I remember mum running into the room and you know crying, and I said, "Mum, we got to get out of here. You know, this this isn't a safe place for us." And so I think that was my first sign of leadership, because my my little brother, we both had shared the same room, and he was killed up on the bed freaking out, and I said, no, nah, we've got to get out of here. So mum made the initial decision to find another house, and we left, but yeah, as soon as we left, um, the father was roaming around Hastings trying to find where we went, and um, he kind of had this yeah, captionment over my mother and, and us, like well, there was no kind of breaking free from him, and yeah, whilst we lived within his his presence, it did feel like a bit of a prison. Yeah. So his his history of being in and out of prison, it kind of flowed on to us, and yeah, it, it did affect us mentally. So um, you know, when you, it's not until you go to another mate's house and you're like, oh, how far is this? What yeah. what it's like? Is is pretty cool, you know? Um, but a love and affection and yeah, oh, it was it was awesome, but. Um, yeah, our father, he was on the on the benefit, you know, never working class man, never anything like that. And it was our mum that kind of um, done done the hard yards and got into a bit of education. and And now she works as an administrator at um, and Growers. So, yeah, she kind of inspired us.
0: Right. So, a lot of people would probably assume that you know, growing up in a gang family with a, a father who was the leader of of a mob chapter would be something out of a, a movie what you've described there is is very much like what a lot of people think right Is was that the regular yeah, booze-ups well, yeah well drugs. you look at the once
1: we warriors mate you mm. know that's um that depicts a lot of um, and in aotearoa it describes um you know the 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 crate bottles coming up the drive the v8s um the violence the parties and everyone coming back to the home homestead and, you know, we, because we were exposed to it at such a young age, um, alcohol has been quite influential in our lives. And it's actually been um, through me saying no to the alcohol that I'm nearly two years um, alcohol free. And, and my brother, <laughs> who kind of gave me a bit of shit at the start um, of this journey, now he's just finished 100 days. So I, I did say, like, bro, it, you know, you just got to give up something. Um we, we understand the effects that alcohol has, but if we drop it, you know, it's although it's been passed on to us, um, our father's old man, he was an alcoholic as well. He actually lived in the same house. But um, yeah, it is whakapapa. It is who we are. We are brought up within the gang and, and accepting that, that and I guess creating positive outcomes from it as well.
0: And when you are a kid, you're incredibly impressionable and... I'm guessing being around gang members as a young boy and seeing this bravado and and these you know patched up gang members you know getting pissed and everything like that could be seen as something to aspire to. What was your sort of view of the gang at at your age at your, in those early years, and what when did it
1: change? Yeah, well, a lot of our uncles, um, my mum's um, br- brothers and cousins are all mobsters as well. So it wasn't just the father; it was uh, a lot of our father and, and now all our all our cousins who are around the same age, a majority of them are, are followed in their father's footsteps. And I think when I when I looked at my father, I always thought that I'd be, I could be better than that. I could be better than him, because yeah, there was a period of time there. I think I was around 14, 15, where me and him never talked. We never saw eye to eye because of that instance back when, a few years ago, that I stood up to him and he didn't like it. He's like, oh, who's this? You know, eight year old, nine year old standing up to his father.
0: So you were eight or nine when you told, you, when you and your mother got out of yeah, the house yeah. and you
1: thought you needed to get out yeah. of the Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And, um, yeah there was i think I was around five or six where i was um sexually abused as well mm. so the the abuse in the in the house uh, there was no love you know and and for me yeah oh, we needed to escape we needed to break free mm. and as i got older that that did affect me mm. um i was reaching for different you know substances um alcohol and and drugs and and things like that but um yeah Oh, I think uh, it it did affect me in in some shape or form mentally. Yeah,
0: if you if you don't mind talking about some of that, how how did that come about? You were five or six at yeah, the time. Yeah,
1: yeah, around that time, and uh yeah, it was um, it was tough. I actually we growing up, we all thought it was normal, you know, like oh, is this, this just because you're so young, and um, it's not until you get older, that you actually think back and you're like. Shit, there was that wasn't right, you know. And um reflecting back and seeing my some of my mates and my friends who were growing up and, and the life that they had, uh, you know, I was I was very envious um and, and a little bit jealous and thinking, man, I wish we had that um life as well. But I think with with abuse and is particularly sexual abuse. It is very common within um, within whānau, particularly gang Fanu And I've actually spoken to a few of my cousins and, and friends who who have been raised the same way, and uh, yeah, same things happen to them. So it is entrenched. It is a um, intergenerational thing.
0: And initially, at the time, were you sort of aware of what was happening to you was wrong or?
1: Did, well, yeah. I, how did you deal with it? At yeah, first? I didn't. I didn't think it was wrong. It wasn't until I got a bit older. I was like, actually, you know, um, there was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, you, you're not too. I mean, when you're that young, you you just don't know what's right from wrong. And um, yeah, it, it was it was tough. And I have spoken, and I did speak to my father about this too. But he didn't want to believe it. You know, um, yeah, and we kind of left it at that. And that that's I guess the trigger that made me think you know i I can dwell on this, I can you know let let it hurt me even further, but or I could be the bigger man and just move forward and yeah, um, I guess that's another reason why I wanted to have this court at all too, because I know there's people out there that would be suffering from similar trauma um and some sad to say some some people are taking their lives because of it um yeah
0: did you try to suppress it for a while and kind of accept it that this is just what happens
1: yep when I was, when I was a bit younger, but then as I got older and I started having my own kids, I was like nah i i'm a I'm the protector i I need a yeah there's no way anyone's touching my kids you know um there's no way we we don't have any parties at our house i don't, there's no parties. I don't take my kids to parties, um, yeah, if, we, if we are going to a celebration we're kind of there and then we we'll leave so growing up there yeah, we've made um, changes from how I grew up to um, how my kids grow up as well
0: that's really interesting and and despite this sort of upbringing that you've that you had you did manage to achieve some really good things in your your teenage years you know through sport and such i understand you played touch for new zealand and
1: yeah mate yeah I th- it was um we were about 13 at the time and um we got some dumbbells some hand dumbbells for christmas and yeah we we were in a rich family we couldn't really afford too much but those dumbbells probably saved my life um uh, we used to run around, pick up all all our mates around the same age, and used to train together. And I think that, to me, was um, and we're still doing it today. But I, I I see health and fitness as a vehicle to engage, particularly with our males. Um, but then growing up and getting involved with um, yeah, playing touch for New Zealand, we couldn't even afford, afford a pair of boots. So I, I um, this guy approached me, saw. That I had a bit of talent and potential. When he went in, um, I done his gardens for him, and he gave me a pair of boots. And then, yeah, the the year after that, I ended up making um, the New Zealand touch team. And same thing again. We couldn't really afford for me to go to Australia every year or every tournament. So, yeah, that didn't really last long. Probably, yeah, went over to Australia twice to play for New Zealand. But I think the sacrifices that my mother made when we were growing up, um, you know selling clothes raffling off um, clothes for me to go to australia um i I, i've got so much to thank for that um
0: what was it about you know you talk about going and rounding up your mates and going for a train or something what was it about sport or about physical exercise at that time that that gave you gave you purpose or gave you a sense of enjoyment
1: yeah i I think it was camaraderie as well you know you're going around picking up the boys um, you're having a having a train, having a sweat, you know, pushing each other, egging each other on, and you know, just for that hour, you know, that hour train, um, yeah, you're building camaraderie, and I, I think that's I'm I'm really huge on group exercise where you're starting together, you're finishing together. It doesn't really matter what your fitness levels are, but you're actually touching base with to fight that fire. You know, your your physical well-being, your social well-being and your mental well being all in that one one hour. And I think what gravitated me towards the um, the sport was an escape, an escape from uh, my father. Um, yeah, it was just a release of energy, just that 80 minutes of footy that you're playing on the field, um, you can just forget about everything. Um, so, yeah, unfortunately, again, I was, um, yeah, Played, it, played for Hawkes Bay Rugby Academy, got into the academies and that, but because of my past, my the trauma, I was still using drugs. I was still reaching for, especially um, dope and cannabis. I was doing it breakfast, lunch, and tea. Um, yeah, I surrounded myself with, with some, some bros, but um, I knew that I, I could be better. Yeah, so that kind of affected me Representatively wise to um, go further in my career. Yeah.
0: So your teen years, you started to really excel in the in the sport, but Mm. your past was holding you back somewhat in terms of your coping mechanisms for what you'd suffered. Would that be fair to say?
1: Oh, absolutely. And um, you're probably at the moment I'm working with a lot of um, teenage uh, rangatahi that I see them, I see me and them, and. Yeah, there was times where I'd be pissing up. Would go away to Gisborne for Hawkes Bay Rugby Academy for you know two day training camp, and um, that night I'm on the piss, and I don't get home till four in the morning, and I don't even train the next day, and the coaches are pissed off with me, and um, that was me releasing that trauma because yeah I'm. I remember talking to my auntie that night about it and she wasn't, you know, she said to me that she it was the same for her. She was sexually abused and I, I was reaching for drugs and alcohol to kind of submerge the pain. And um, yeah, so I, I was reaching for health and fitness, but at the same time I was reaching for other things.
0: And what did it look like for you at its worst?
1: Oh, suicide. Yeah, suicidal thoughts, not even... Um, I left home, I think I would have been about 17, 16, 17, and um, went to a cousin's for a few weeks and then um, went to another mate's for a few weeks and I just felt lost. There was no, yeah, no one that kind of stuck up for me. Uh, yeah, it was tough. It was tough. And I think it wasn't until, yeah, I met my wife, my, my wife now, that, you know, it was either her. Um, the drugs or her and I had to make that decision and um, yeah. How was it impacting
0: your, your daily life and with your connection to a lot of people who was in the gang and your, your father, was there any pressure to, to succumb to a lifestyle
1: like that? Oh mate, yeah there was times where I was um, scouring the streets looking for drugs um, at the age of 18 and looking, you know, um, almost heading down that pathway there's been a couple of opportunities as well to you know put the patch on and, and get amongst it but i th- i think um yeah, look, looking back and reflecting back now and seeing um a lot of bros who are patched up um yeah a lot of them need a lot of um support and i think i can help from um outside of the gang um because of my fucker pop and my connection to the gang I see it best fit that I can support um, at arm's length yeah. and yeah support them on their trauma because I know that a lot of them are suffering from a trauma mm. from a young age not even having um, a father around a lot of the bros you know father's in prison gets out oh you know same old shit you know oh sorry <laughs> no, but right. so, yes yeah, right. same old stuff going on and it just becomes a repetitive cycle mm. a cycle. A, it's a vicious cycle, and it's about breaking it
0: mm, and reflecting on that time what was what was missing for you
1: yeah, the connection with my father I, you yeah everyone even everyone has a dad, you know, and it's about um everyone looks up to their father uh you know I want my my sons to be better than me, and um if I can teach them the ways and and you know we were learning different ways that weren't actually to abide by the rules, you know, uh, when you're brought up within the gang environment. But yeah, I, I just wish that, um, nah, I still love him, I still love him. We treat him like a bro now, because um, yeah, he there could be a day where he's gone and you know, it's all, all kind of left, left there. So I think just having that connection with my father, I do have a strong connection with my brother. He's only two years younger than me and, yeah, I, I guess me and him were very tight going through um, our younger days, and I actually lost him because I was looking for drugs instead of um, looking after my little brother.
0: So your your life was slowly starting to unravel. Oh, yeah,
1: mate, yeah.
0: <laughs> what you mentioned before, your, your now wife, she managed to, to pull you out of it.
1: Is that where it sort of started to change? Yeah, well, um, at the conclusion of high school, um, so yeah i went to I was at St John's College. I had done a lot of my schooling there and then went to Hastings Boys for the rugby academy um but yeah, was just heavily involved in drugs from there as soon as rugby finished um school finished for me, and then i went, ended up going out to a timber mill um yeah, out in Flaxman and yeah hard yakka that was <laughs> Start, starting uh six in the morning finishing six at night and yeah mate i hated it, it was stacking you're the youngest fittest person there and you're just stacking timber all day every day and uh it wasn't until these um a couple of my mates so all my mates went to uni they went to canterbury university victoria and i got i stayed here i stayed here and i felt like man my bros had ditched me and um, they they'd come back in the school holidays and the Christmas holidays, and they just said to me, "Bro, go go do something, go get you know go to EIT and um, do something with yourself." So yeah, I ended up going there. Yeah, hence, why we're here today. Mate. <laughs> but uh, I came to EIT, and then um, I ended up getting kicked off the first semester. Um,
0: what was that for? Oh,
1: being a distraction, being a whore, not even listening to the teacher, carrying on old ways that I was doing at school, um, still doing drugs, um, but then my wife, yeah, um, dana, she she's a little bit older than me, um, <laughs> yeah, she, she she was eight years older than me, but she kind of pulled me to the side, and then, yeah, probably 18, 18, 24 months after that, she got pregnant with our our mm. first child, and I was 20. And I thought to myself, shit, I'm, I'm gonna be a father here. So I, I came back to EIT and I pleaded to them, can I please have this opportunity to come back and study? And yeah, they, they didn't say no. I started off with a diploma, went into the diploma and set myself at the front of the class and um, made sure that I got on with the mahi and um, didn't get distracted. I had, to, I had to kind of change my group of friends at the time. And um, yeah, put my head down and my ass up, and yeah, I think it was that moment where I was going to become a father. That was my why.
0: Well, yeah. What is it about that realization that you're you're going to be a father? What is it about that moment that you think changed
1: your attitude? Oh, I had to be better than my father. Uh, that was my that was always my goal. Um, I, I had to be better than him, so I didn't. I didn't want to patch up, I didn't want to join the gang because I, I wanted to be better than him. And if I was going to be better than him, I'd had to make some changes. And um, yeah, being a, a young father as well, you know, all your, all your rugby mates. I, I played rugby for Havelock. Um, yeah, played played heaps of years at Havelock and you're still surrounded with the rugby culture and the drinking culture. So that is pretty tough, um, being a young father. And, You've got this young fella um, and living in Waipaq at the time, so I was travelling to work, travelling for study, um, but then my wife, her, she lost her mother through cancer. She had um, six months to live in, so we moved here to the bay. Um, we settled down in Napier and again, that was another trigger to say, you know, Shit, you, you're going to lo- you lose your mother-in-law here, you better shape up. Um, so. Throughout that study I, I I done the diploma, carried on, done the degree, done it alongside my brother as well and uh, my sister in law, my wife's sister and yeah, it was in the third year of my degree where I had my daughter. So again, um another uh, moment in life where you have to um sharpen those tools. Um picked up some extra mahi, went in um Worked at, uh, behind a bar and done some work at a supermarket. So I was making sure that I could provide for my family. Mm.
0: Mm. And do you think your, I guess, lack of family environment at the start of your life really made you desire a better life for your your family? Oh, life?
1: absolutely. That I think oh, I'd never change my life. I guess um, you always learn from those experiences and... Um, yeah, I'm, I'm big on education because I kind of um, stuffed up during my high school years and you know you only have uh, you know five years at high school you know you be yeah use the most of them um, get the most out of those years because it's going to set you up for your future and it just took me a little lot longer to <laughs> realize that but now I'm kind of emphasizing that with my son and yeah education it changed my life. Um, you know, turning up to class on time, getting out of my comfort zone, meeting new people, meeting cool lecturers that I still um, am friends with today Mm. and um, just passing that knowledge on to those who who, who may need it.
0: And the work that you do now is very sort of community focused and you're giving back to the community that you grew up in. Were you always drawn to potentially doing work like that?
1: Yeah, I go back to when I was 13 and those dumbbells, as I mentioned, they did change my life and health and fitness to me, it saved my life and I know that it can save other people's lives and what I've learned here at EIT is it's filled my kitty up and I I need to go out there and I need to pass that knowledge on to others. I know already the work that we've been able to achieve in the communities to date is impacting so many lives. Um, We've got uh, a lot of bros, similar backgrounds to myself, that are coming through EIT, um, they're seeing the, you know, the uh, importance of education. And although they're starting at a late age as well, um, they're now passing that knowledge on to their family. So it's almost, almost becomes a, a chain reaction, a flow-on effect. But working, just even just recently with um, the COVID-19 and the pandemic and the effects that it has on our funu. It's not until you're isolated and you're by yourself that you start realising, oh, you know, who's? Uh, do I have friends? There? You know, um, do I need alcohol? Do I need drugs? It, it does like open your eyes and, yeah. How exercise to me has been a really important.
0: Yeah, and that's through your work, your your gym patu, and that involves a lot of Fano and community involved workouts. And there's a lot of people in there who are who are in gangs, right, or Fano um, who have Fano members in gangs or friends in gangs. And could you tell me a little bit about patu and and the work surrounding that and what that's about?
1: Yeah, for sure. And it was again through EIT where. It um, wasn't until my third year and my last semester I still didn't even know what I wanted to do. Um, but then after I graduated um, I worked at a couple of gyms I worked at CrossFit and I worked at another community gym called Hikoi for life and um, decided you know we group exercise is massive for our people in and, and I wanted to I wanted to focus on Maori and Pacifica health as well because I could see the data, the research it was, enormous you know the the obesity rates um, etc is, is huge for our people so I wanted to target that that particular audience and teamed up with another bro and we both um, ventured in, and set up patu um, in Hastings um, with Jackson and yeah so it was really cool um, two young Maori um, giving back to our um, elders so there was yeah 12 big boys um, unfortunately we um, we just buried one yesterday um, who yeah we call him an OG, um, an original gangster but again he was another uncle we kind of looked up to in the mob so he's a he was a patch gang member but again he it took him you know 55 years to s- start making changes um, it, it was just too late by then um, so, where we are now with the POD and, and Marae Nui, we're trying to make exercise accessible, it's free, um, I believe exercise should be free um, to anyone because it, it's the best medicine, mm. it makes you feel good and um, going back to that hour, <laughs> that hour that you're together, you're, you're ticking all those boxes mm. with Te Whare Tapa wha.
0: Yeah, so you're, you're, the gyms that you run, they're, they're free to join, uh, they involve communities, they're right in the heart of communities, the pod, which is a big container, I've seen it myself, filled with gym equipment and it just opens up and you run fitness workshops out of there. Have, what have you found through that process?
1: Well, uh, yeah, it's, again, it's been a huge learning and I think um, business, like business... There, there are a lot of pressures with business, you know, not just financially, but um, stability, sustainability, and I know that um, it does affect our mental well-being. Uh, I can see, especially, particularly with COVID, where businesses are struggling, um, companies, uh, business owners, you know, they, they will be struggling um, significantly uh, mentally as well. Um, and there was a, a moment in time where I was in a very dark place, um, yeah this this was when we were running Patu and Napier. Uh, again we try to keep it cheap for Farnu, you know uh, minimal cost um, but again the leases are going up uh, so this was probably three or four years ago where we had to shut our doors. Um, I, didn't, I didn't want to, I didn't want to let the Farnu down but my wife uh, she was pregnant with our fourth child and I had to make a decision, you know, to keep the business open or focus on my whānau. I was so busy out there trying to help others that I forgot to look over my shoulder and, and think about my my whānau, making sure my backyard was, was clean and good to go. So, you know, there was, a, a again, a moment in time where I was, again, back on the bottle, you know, hitting the bottle very hard, um, doing a bit of MD, you know, doing, doing a whole lot of shit really um, to I guess block it out, block block all that um, the the pressures of having a business. And it wasn't until we closed those doors that we um, I decided I oh, should you know the we can convert a container into a gym. And so I teamed up with my cousin Fadi, um, whose father is a prominent gang member in the Hastings chapter as well, and he's he's doing some massive stuff, um, Whare down in Wellington in architecture, so it was awesome that we came back together, we were born and raised together, and um, yeah, came up with the pod, but it, it, it came from the struggles, um, that, that concept, that innovation, that idea came from the struggles, and I think that's where a lot of great businesses start, is you, you've got a, I don't call them failures, I call them learning experiences, and getting past that that wall
0: it's challenges that your community and the community that you help um, that they face a lot uh, are communities that are often you know frankly vilified right and so what what have you seen amongst the people that you're helping through your through your programs and and in gangs in general
1: in terms of their mental well-being oh my I've seen so much change, especially within Mara Nui. We've only been there for not even twelve months yet and just that belief that um, you know, they can change. I've I've seen, you know, not just people lo- losing weight, but people um taking up the study education, never even thinking that they'll go to EIT, um, people giving up the pipe, you know, methamphetamine, that that's that runs rife in in the Nui but swapping that addiction for a, a better addiction and health and fitness. So, um, women coming to the pod, coming from abusive relationships, you know, they're, they're coming for, they've seen a light and they're wanting to better themselves. So, th- there's only so much we can do as trainers. I think a lot of the time we become psychologists. Mm. Um, they finally come to you with their problems and you, we can provide them with tools to support them. But I think at the same time, we've just got to be mindful that we have our own fa'nu, <laughs>
0: But you've, we need to do something in those communities, yeah. right, because you, you're losing friends, right?
1: Yeah. yeah, oh, mate, yeah, we, I think just there the last few, even few months, I think at the moment there's a couple of fa'nu on life support right now as we speak, you know, um, which breaks your heart. Uh, I think particularly with Māori as well, um, and that trauma, yeah, growing up, it has affected a lot of our whanau, um and suicide seems to be the answer mm. these days.
0: Mm. Why do you think fitness works for them? Or why do you advocate for fitness?
1: I think it's um, something that they've never, th- never been brought up on as well. A lot of them see fitness, oh, nah, that's not for me. Mm. You know, it, it does become quite intimidating. Whereas I like um, our concept where people can rock up, They don't have to have the meanest lycra. Um, They don't have to be tanked or have muscles or anything like that. You could just be an ordinary person. And Mm. it's not until you actually jump in and join that you find that we're all on the same page. We're all on the same level. We've all come for that one vision and that one mission is to become better every day. You know, tomorrow I want to be better than I was yesterday. I'm, I'm now talking with bros... They used to talk about pee and um, you know, oh, will we scoring next time? You know, um, but now we're talking about proteins and oh, what are you having for lunch, bro? Oh, I had some chicken and broccoli, and <laughs> you know, <laughs> changing that whole concept. Then we only know what we've been brought up with. Uh, it is a lot. A lot of it is hereditary. A lot of whānau are obese because of their parents and their parents' parents, and it does become a flow-on effect. Mm. So. Yeah, I think the benefits of exercise outweigh. Um, yeah.
0: Obviously you're putting a lot of work into it, but how do you view that society and our society needs to change to start that positive movement?
1: Oh mate, like I said, you know, the, especially within the gang, especially Mongol mob, there are people within those gangs that are trying to make change. Um, From the bottom of their heart because they're just sick of sick of the bullshit. They're sick of seeing um, Bros either getting locked up or being in the ground. You know, I I go to 21st now and that's a celebration, you know Oh, he made it to 21. He's not locked up and he's not dead You know, that's just the reality of our of our people and our communities that we're in and you know, you have a lot of um, media as well that out there that do um, I guess portray uh, initiatives that are I guess get run by gangs but sometimes those are the best initiatives because they're run within the gang, they're brothers helping brothers, whanau helping whanau we've got this kōrero, um, by Māori, for Māori, using te ao Māori and it's very similar You know, with um, not just Mongol mob but Māori um, we we can't be governed by I guess this Colonisation that comes through where that trauma has affected a whole decade, or you know, generations of whānau, um just through colonisation. But knowing that now we we do have the problems, but we also have the solutions. And you know, perhaps maybe government and crown and media need to support these initiatives a lot more and in, in a positive light.
0: So, yeah, there, and there has been a lot of discussion around. How we begin to change it, and but you very much see it from the inside as where it needs to come, and and is is that why you couldn't just abandon your community? You could have gone off and started, I don't know, an F forty five or something. <laughs> is, is is that why you you continue to advocate and continue to help your
1: community? Oh, absolutely. I. It's not just uh, yeah. Exercise is a vehicle to engage. there's We've had this discussion with um our research team but also council and that as well is like okay if we can keep a bro out of jail you know that's going to save the government a hundred thousand you know if we can um, keep our whanau out of the health system you know we're going to save billions so it's these you know if we can start off with a little initiative within the the very hood of marae nui um motivating the most unmotivated people in our in our region you know i think that's a, a real start but from a government's perspective, I mean, you know, you, if you invest in 1 million into a program now, you know, you're probably going to save 10 million in, in 10 years' time. So that's how, that's our thinking. And I think, um, like you've seen within the last 12 months, initiatives that are being um, funded uh, as well, but also looking at the longevity and the longitudinal um, impact that that initiative may have in the future. for. Yeah, if we can change father's lives and their eating habits and their training habits, that's going to be passed on to their tamariki and it's actually effectively making, a, creating a new cycle of mm. life. Mm.
0: And you, you spoke before about how your focus on on your own business and, and the troubles that that was having, you forgot to to look after yourself and look after your family and you unfortunately you know, relapsed and went back to the bottle. How are you making sure these days that you yourself are, are keeping fit physically and also
1: mentally? Oh, I think um, again, EIT <laughs> shoulder tapping me and um, they had an opportunity for me to do my masters two years ago. I didn't I never ever thought I'd I'd be this far in my educational pathway. Um yeah, to me, it oh, wasn't even a thought, but for EIT to come in and not just shoulder tap myself, but also offer my wife a scholarship to say, Hey, you know, we love we love the work that you're doing and um we'll, we want to offer you a scholarship that that was a trigger to actually give the piss a miss. Um I I was coaching a bit of rugby. I coached a bit of um, rugby, and yeah, that 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 got to me. Um, Results weren't going our way, and um, yeah, I was hitting the bottle pretty hard. And the and the I think I must have done about ten lines in one go, one 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 night, and I didn't go home. And yeah, uh, that that really uh, triggered something, Um, and then. At the same time, my wife said she was pregnant. So all these things happened at one at once. And going back to how, I, yeah, I thought back when I was twenty, I had to make more changes. It is, I think, as a father, there are a lot of pressures uh, within fatherhood. You know, you've got a fanu to feed, you've got a business that has to be doing well to feed your fanu. Um, so there there was added pressure on that and. Um, yeah, once I got into my masters and, and finally got to do something with my wife, 'cause she's a she's a secondary school teacher, she's full on doing her Mahi. Um, yeah, we both we both um are alcohol free, uh, which has been oh, fantastic for our relationship. Um yeah, so we we're, we're actually uh coming up to our, our eighth year anniversary um next week. So Yeah, we've been uh, married for eight years and probably the best couple of years of our lives at the moment being alcohol free because we again seeing what it can do to families Mm. and relationships. yeah, been huge.
0: Yeah, for for people out there who who potentially you know can't go without a beer at night or something, which which it seemingly is harmless in a way. But what what things have you noticed about you just giving up the alcohol that has that has
1: changed you? Yeah, I think well, first and foremost would be physically, mentally, socially. Um, physically, you know, you, you drop an easy ten kgs. Um, you're not carrying around that belly fat um although you know I was training every day um I wasn't um training I was actually training for the sake of it I wasn't training to improve and alcohol yeah affected that so dropping the the bottle for that um socially I I did lose I uh, I did lose a few friends you know they they want you to they know you're the life of the party oh we'll go get on the piss with Eva and oh we'll go around to his house and you know or my, old man. So my old man's so my old men still got a bit of a set up over there, and uh, yeah, so you do lose a couple of your drinking buddies um along the way, but they understand that I was I'm um, doing my masters, and it's it's pretty huge to have a clear mind and I think mentally oh, uh i I had clouded thoughts um alcohol makes you cloudy and you it is a depressant, you know. Um, when you when you're already suffering from depression, you, you actually go into a deeper hole, and it, it is very hard to get out. So, dropping a having a teammate to do it with, my wife just made it a lot more easier. So there was no alcohol whatsoever in our house, and then go, being able to go to social events, <laughs> and finding substitutes. So, just on the weekend, um, I was drinking some Asahi Zeros, zero percenters, watching the footy, and there was a time where If we're drinking with a group of 10 bros, uh, there was 9 out of 10 that were drinking alcohol. I'd be the only one not drinking alcohol. Now, going to a party, there's about 7 of us not drinking alcohol. So you can see there's a growing trend and I think um, the alcohol, uh, the beverage companies have actually picked up on it too. So there's a bit more of a range of um, zero percenters out there. You still enjoy their company, still have a bottle in their hand, but they're it's way better waking waking up with no hangover
0: <laughs> what about any any sort of other habits that you keep i mean you've got your training obviously but is there anything else that you do to keep well
1: yeah well um about f- 6 years ago um, i had a a cousin he had um he had been in home d so he wanted to come to potsu but he couldn't um he was on home detention so we decided to move the gym to his house I would start Patsu at 6 o'clock, so I had to make sure that I was at the gym at 6 and um, decided, oh, we'll train at 4 in the morning. Um, This was six years ago, and and we're still training at 4 in the morning um, to this day. And I think that, that, to me, I know a lot of people out there, they have excuses, all the excuses under the sun when it comes to looking after themselves. But you just make a sacrifice, you know, you make that... Sacrifice of a, oh, I'll go to bed a bit earlier and I'll wake up a bit earlier um, The only reason why again another reason to start training at four is because My wife wouldn't let me train during the day because of the kids <laughs> So I like well I'll train when you guys are asleep By the time I get home you're you're just waking up So I think starting the your day off on the right foot uh, Motivated to attack the day is, is essential
0: So you've got a real routine I
1: guess Oh mate it's it's yeah it's routine. People call me crazy. People think, um, "Oh, you're on pee. <laughs> I was like, "Come on, bro! You know, it's just motivated, motivated to um, look after myself because the stats say you know Maori are dying a lot younger than than um, Pākehā at the moment. And seeing guys dying in their 50s, and the mid 50s because of health, that that's quite scary. And um, I want to be around for my kids, kids. And so, yeah, that's my motivation.
0: And what about um, the trauma that you suffered and the triggers that you potentially face from the abuse that you survived? Mm. How do you continue to manage those and do they still
1: present? Oh, oh, I think um, to me, a big one word is forgiveness, you know, just forgiveness um, to that person um, and forgiveness to move on i think if you you keep holding on to it 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 will eat you up inside and it will affect you down the track so um yeah just forgiveness and moving forward i think so many of us we dwell on um the past a lot and i think moving forward setting some goals setting yeah setting yourself some some high margins and and climbing that monga has been essential for my my well-being in this journey, with um, yeah, with with dealing with this trauma.
0: And what about your dad? Do you still talk to
1: him? Do you oh yeah, mate. Relationship? Yeah, yeah. Well, I was with him yesterday because the the father that passed away. Um, we call him Uncle Barney, but yeah, they were good friends, and I think now that he's he's sixty-nine next month, and uh, you know he's he's getting on. He he's, he won't be around for much longer, but I think for my kids to see their papa, that, oh, that, that has to be, you know, I, I don't want whatever my relationship was with my father, mm. oh, I kind of push that to the side and, you know, he, he loves my kids. I named my young my young son Jagger after Mick Jagger because that's, um, my old man's band was the Rolling Stones, so, <laughs> yeah, um, Jagger and he, now nah, he loves them. <laughs> cool. Yeah.
0: Cool. No, that's awesome. Um, an absolute pleasure to chat with you today, Levi. And you know, thank you for taking the time to share those stories and be, be vulnerable and provide, I guess, some awesome insights into what you're doing and and what you're doing for your community. Um, good luck with your your co Papa and um, I hope we hearing from you soon.
1: Wow nah, awesome, Sean. Thanks for the opportunity, bro. Yeah.
0: Man. Hey, thanks for making it to the end and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please remember to subscribe and share this podcast to your mates or across social media so we can get these conversations
1: out there. Have a good one.